Today, I asked if Mr. Bill Woodrow would speak, and I am super, super excited to hear him speak. Uh, some of you guys have met him, some of you may not, uh, but him and his wife, Sue. Sue is actually down with the grandkids down in Virginia. Am I right? You're right, and then she's going for her 50th, her 50th high school reunion. That's impressive. I married a younger girl. Younger girl. So... So, uh, anyway, so these guys actually pastored the church for many years, and, and we are just, man, blessed to have these guys a part of our congregation. These guys bring such a, a humility, but a maturity to our body, and uh, I'm personally excited to hear him preach today. So, if you can, just welcome Mr. Bill. Thank you. We have such an awesome worship team. You know that? They actually... They actually worship. They don't just get up there and sing a few songs. And they really draw us into worship. That's one of the things that really impressed and drew my wife and I, Sue, to this church. Was here's a place that, you know, they're, they're doing the real deal. They're not going through the motions. Today's worship was about love. And I was thinking in 1 John chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 8. It used to be a song we sang way back. It's, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Ever wondered who God was? God is love. So, beloved, let us love one another. That's kind of, kind of, is very much the message I want to share with you today. The title of my message is, so far, is going to be The Fellowship of the King. Sounds like token, doesn't it? (laughs) The Fellowship of the King. Not the ring, the king. (laughs) Although, by the way, token was a real serious Christian. He actually led a home group that C.S. Lewis was in. So they were good buddies. Interesting. But I'm not going to, that's not what I'm sharing on today. <laughs> it was a little sidestep. I was talking to my wife. I, I saw her about a month ago, I guess. <laughs> She's serving our kids and grandkids right now. What is it that attracted us to this congregation? And I, I want to encourage you today. You have the best welcoming group. I mean, it's the real deal. They really have a, a passion and a compassion for people coming in. Friendly. I can't impress enough on you how important that is because you get one chance to give a first impression. And you're doing a pretty good job at that. And then, of course, the thing that attracted us was the worship. And the other thing that attracted us was there was this young preacher who has a wisdom, I think, beyond his years. And it was, uh, for me, it was sort of like a Jonathan and David relationship that um, I used to be just like that, full of fire and brimstone. I would tell my, uh, my buddy helping me, let's charge that mountain. He does that. What happened to Jonathan when he touched that? I'm here. 
It's great. I really want to um, encourage you today. I'm going to share some things that are going to be a little hard for some people maybe, but hang with me. It's about God's love. So I want to start by making a statement I think we can all agree with. Sometimes we can get so fired up and excited and filled with zeal only to find the next day we've lost it. We leak, and we leak badly. You know, that's why it says in the scriptures that encourage one another daily while it's still called today so that your hearts not be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. And what is sin? I think it's the absence of God. I think when we're missing God, we're missing the mark. Sin's missing the mark. And it's very interesting what the fellowship of the king looks like. I want to start on my first point. Actually, my goal today is threefold. I want to start with talking about the fellowship of the king, which is really, I didn't know whether to call it that or eternal life. And you'll see why in a minute. And in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says he's made everything beautiful in its time. And he's put eternity into the hearts of men or into their hearts. Except that no one really knows what happens, what, what's going on from the telling the end from the beginning. In fact, the best terp- interpretation of that is God is frustrated man and that he's put eternity into our hearts and we don't know the end from the beginning. Now, that's all of us, except us. You see, we are not supposed to be frustrated because we're supposed to understand the end from the beginning. And I want to talk about that today. You know, I'm thinking also of Romans chapter 8, I think beginning in about the 19th verse, it says, all creation has been subjected to frustration. I'm sorry I don't have that to go up, I just thought of it. All creation has been subjected to frustration, not by the will of its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected us in the hope that we would be delivered from our bondage to decay and delivered unto the glorious inheritance of the saints. And then it says, all creation groans, waiting in eager expectation for the sons of God to be made manifest. See, that's us. The whole world's waiting for someone to simply stand up and show me how to do it. Not tell me how to do it, but show me how to do it. We're not supposed to have that frustration. Because the glorious inheritance of the saints is, is uh, Jesus has given us some answers. And those answers we need to seize hold of. You know, one of the most popular verses is in Hebrews ten twenty four. It starts out, see to it that we provoke one another unto love and to good works. And do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some, but do it even more. Do you know what word, what verse preceded all that? It says, see to it that you hold fast, that you do not swerve from, that you do not waver from the hope you profess, knowing that he who promised is faithful. To me, that says that we're going to be tested. 
It says love is more than this sensation, than this high I get. It's more than what I feel. It's more of what I know. And guess what? When we know, we even start to feel better. We feel much better when we know than when we're just caught in the emotional time we can find ourselves in. The second thing I want to share today is take us back to that which was from the beginning. I get that out of First uh, John chapter 1. Some of you are familiar with that. That which was from the beginning. See, we're supposed to understand that which was from the beginning, right? We're going to talk about that a little bit today. And then the third point I want to cover is I want to take a good look at what the will of the Father is. And you'll see that in one of the scriptures I share. I'll keep referring back to it. And then I gave everybody a scripture memory. That before you leave today, you're going to memorize one verse, at least, in scripture. And though I got three points up there, there's always a fourth one that I always try to share. No matter what I'm sharing on, whether it's public or whether it's just one-on-one, I want to leave people with a motivation, a passion, an empowerment to lay hold of this word with all your heart, because it is the wellspring. That's alive. That's not a dead work. One verse can be so multifaceted that it says many different things, and they're all true. You know why? Because you find the same revelation later on in Scripture. It all works, and it's all alive, and he wants to teach us. He wants to teach you personally. And you know, it's awful hard when we see that he says the world didn't know him, so the world's not going to know you. And guess what? We all come out of the world And we've learned all the things that the world's had to teach us, pretty much. God hope not all. But God says, my ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. So how do we get his ways and his thoughts into here? Now, you can listen to the preacher, but that's not going to take you too far. First John says, you can receive the witness of man, but the witness of God is so much greater. When you have the word in your heart, written on your heart, and you wake up, I do it all the time, I wake up in the middle of the night, and there's the word. And I get such fresh revelation, and if I want to remember it, I write it down. You know, I can remember as a young preacher, I get all these revelations, and it was, God would come to me at these inopportune times, and I'd say, When I sit down in my easy chair, I'm going to write all that stuff down. But I'd get to my easy chair and I'd pull a blank. (laughs) And I said, where's all this revelation? And I sense the Lord saying, walk in the light while you have the light. Oftentimes, God does come to us at inopportune times. Write it down. That works for me. Then it starts to flow. But anyway, where was I going with that? You know, another, another proverb I want to share with you. I just thought of it. It says in the Proverbs that it's, it's a good thing if you write his words upon your heart. 
For they shall all be fitted into your lips when you need them, so that your trust can be in the Lord. How badly do we want our trust to be in the Lord? Do we want it bad enough to start writing it on our heart, learning his language? You know, if you want to have a relationship with someone who speaks Spanish, you better learn Spanish, right? If you want to write... If you, hey, if you want to have a relationship with the living God, it's a good idea to learn his language. And, you know, memorizing, it's a privilege. It really is. That we might know the one true God, that we might get revelation for ourselves. The first uh, scripture I want to go to is the Gospel of John. Chapter 17 Verse 3, the Gospel of John. After Jesus said all this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son might also glorify you. For you granted him authority to give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Now your memory verse, verse 3. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. John 17, 3. My prayer is that not anybody leaves here today that hasn't memorized that verse because upon that revelation and that statement rests our salvation, our growing up in Jesus, our not missing the mark. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And I want to delve deeper into that, but, you know, oftentimes to understand what the will of the Father is, what all that means, it's good to look at what it does not mean. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7, beginning in the 19th verse, I believe, no, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. Remember, one of the points I want to make today is what is the will of my Father? And for some of you, you might discover it's not necessarily what you think. And then he says, but some of you are going to say to me, But Lord, Lord, what's this about? We cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. We did many miracles in your name. But then Jesus says, I'm going to say this to you plainly. I love that plainly is up there because this is beyond interpretation. It's not a parable. It's the real deal. I do not know you. After doing all these things, I do not know you. Away from me, you evildoers. One one translation says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Away from me, you workers of iniquity. That's heavy. That's heavy. What's our scripture verse memory? Gospel of John 17.3. Now, this is eternal life. That they might that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. 
I want you to think about that as I break this up a little bit. Why would Jesus say something as radical as that? Away from me, you workers of iniquity, you evildoers. First point I want to make, number one, is we teach what we know, but we impart what we are. We impart who we are. We impart where we are. Our lives are the reflection of truth and reality for us. Let me give you a little example. Let's say your parents and you smoke. And you don't want your kids to smoke, right? And you tell them all the reasons why they shouldn't smoke. You give them good reasons. Cancer uh, makes you smell bad. um, You name it. But guess what your kids are going to do? Guess what you are imparting to them? Yeah. That's... See, that's kind of the same thing here. Is that I don't think they memorized John 17, verse 3. That they would get so caught up in the ministry that the ministry became a God to them in a sense. The second reason is we can give great hope through the message and then take it away by not adhering to the message. And it sounds like the first one, but it's a little bit different, but it's the same. I'm thinking of like the church of Ephesus. In fact, it's in Revelation chapter 2. I would read the story about all seven churches. But the church of Ephesus in particular, Jesus was commending them. He was saying, I'm impressed with your works. You're doing things right. You're testing the prophets. You're testing the apostles. You're not being led astray like the early church was being led astray by many things. But he says, I have this against you. Return to your first love, or I'm going to remove my candlestick. That means his spirit. I know I'm getting a little heavy, but I'll try to be less heavy. It's a word of God. It says what it says. And the third, oh, this is a biggie, overemphasis, chasing the sensational. Back as a young pastor, the big movement of God was deliverance ministry. Derek Prince, Bob Mumford, name it, Prince, all of them. And one, now, don't hear me saying I'm not, that I have any problem with deliverance. One-third of Jesus' ministry was spent casting out demons, but not 80%, not 90%. It, it came so, became so overemphasized that people were blaming their own flesh on a demon. The whole idea of discipline, yourself unto godliness, kind of went out the window because it was some demon. And then people were chasing from church to church to see who had the most sensational deliverances. Well, would Jesus want to speak to that? Yeah. Well, the other big thing was prophecy. Oh, man, when that was going running rampant, everybody was going 
to a place to be prophesied over. Now, I believe in prophecy, and I might prophesy over you, but it's going to be through the relationship with Jesus Christ, with the Father, that I prophesy. It's not going to be to, for any other reason, and no one needs to be chasing after it because you're going to miss John 17, 3, which is, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. They missed it, didn't they? God forbid that we miss it. We can't miss it. One thing I love about this place is I can say you're not missing it. You know, that love and that spirit of worship, that fellowship is here. But you know what God wants to do? He wants to go from deep to deep. And in a healthy church, you want to hear what a healthy church looks like? You're a healthy church, by the way. A healthy church has a nucleus. Not the majority, but they're leading the church through their understanding of what I'm sharing with you right now. And then you've got a bigger group that's kind of on the fence and they're being drawn in. That's healthy. And you have a door that's swinging both ways. Because guess what? Not everybody wants the truth. Churches that compromise on the truth to keep that door from swinging out, sure, they're keeping more people in, but it's a form of godliness with no power. And the power is in the changed life. The power is in, what's our scripture verse? Gospel of John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, no cheating, you're looking, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. You can memorize. The devil doesn't want to, you to think you can. Does he, Ben? Doesn't. But you can. Do you know your phone number? Do you know where you live? You remember your name. You can memorize. How important is it to you to learn God's language? You know, everybody I disciple, I start them in John, 1 John, and they memorize the whole book, the whole epistle. Because to me, if you really look at 1 John, that's the whole Bible in a, in a bite-sized piece that, that gives you the spirit of God. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. And the first four verses of 1 John, which is where we're going to end today, are the hardest verses in the whole epistle to memorize. And guess what? I don't go any further till my disciple has memorized that and can tell me what it means. Because those first four verses are beginning with the end in mind. Those first four verses are where you want to be. But you're not there yet. It's... It's the proclamation of a father who is inviting others into the fellowship of the king. You're going to see that in a minute. I hope. I pray. You are. Now, this 
is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You're writing that on your heart right now. And you see, you're going to wake up, maybe in the middle of the night like I do, and that verse, whoo, what's that mean, Lord? And he's going to start giving you revelation, and you're going to forget it in the morning if you don't write it down. I think. I do. Walk in the light while we have the light. And the fourth thing, the Father is very clear in what he not only wants, but what he demands from us. It's relationship. And we need to feed the fire of that relationship. Okay, I want to go back to John 17 and begin. John 17, 20. This is after Jesus prayed for his disciples. And after he gave you your memory verse, he said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who are going to believe through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Think about that in a minute. How close was Jesus and the Father? You understand that's an impossible request without God intervening and doing something very special to you personally. That they might all be one, all of us be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Wow, that, you see, that's what all creation is groaning and waiting in eager expectation for us to show them, not tell them, show them something here that is so vital that if we miss it, we miss the whole thing. Sorry. We can be doing miracles in the name of Jesus. We can be doing all kinds of things in the name of Jesus. But if we miss the most important thing, which is his thing, we've missed it all. I'm not telling, that's not my opinion. That's what I just read you. And Jesus said, I say this plainly. You know, you can say, well, that's your interpretation, Bill. No, he says it plainly. What's that meant to do to us? I think it's meant to instruct us of what it isn't. So that we don't get confused and thinking this is what it is, when it isn't what it is. And it's also to remind us to return to our first love and don't leave it. I don't know how many times I've had to return to my first love. seems like I'm doing it more often than I ought to have to. But we're in the world, you know? And the world has its effect on us. We're supposed to be having our effect upon it, too. That's why it's encourage one another daily while it's called today so that your hearts not be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, to provoke one another into love and to good works. Hang on. We have to do this together. You'll notice something I notice, and you notice if you're going to read the word, is that the church is always referred to in the plural. That... Yeah, it's vital we have a personal relationship, but as you'll see, it's always in the plural. I'm running out a little bit of time because I really want to end with First um, John 
chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which is one of the points I want to make. But let's go back to the beginning for a minute. In the beginning, God created man, and he told man, you take dominion and multiply. Take dominion and multiply. Then he brought all the animals, everything to him, domestic, domestic, wild, whatever, and he told Adam to name them. They named them together, I believe. You see, naming something was much more than giving it a title. You had to understand its nature. God was inviting man to participate with him in creation. Creation wasn't done yet. It wasn't over yet. Why do you think there's words like life and death are in the power of the tongue? And those who love it and understand it are going to enjoy the fruits of it. But those who ignore it, they're going to suffer for it. Think about that. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. We can speak life into ourselves and each other, or we can speak death. You see, we are being created. When Jesus died for us, we died with him. I am crucified in Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. I live by the life, the new life, the new man, the new creation. It says in Galatians 2, in Galatians, you can look it up. Huh? 20, okay. We no longer look at the world through the viewpoint of the world, even though we used to do that with Christ. But because we're a new creation, all has become new. The old is gone. We are under construction. We, have, we were undone so that we could be redone. And we have to see ourselves that way. We're being redone. And life and death are in the power of our tongue. That which was from the beginning is so now. God's still given us that power with our tongue to be building each other and to be taking dominion of our work fields, of our families. Taking dominion means being responsible for. I love it. I mean, if, if you look at what we just looked at in the Gospel of John 17, we give up ownership of the selfish little me. And guess what I get in return? You. I own you. But you own me too. Why? Because Jesus owns us. And our prayer, his prayer, that we would be one, even as the Father and the Son are one, that we'd be one with him and be one with each other. We can't miss that. First John, chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard. Guess what? Faith cometh through hearing. Hearing the word of God. And again... I want you to see these first four verses as beginning with the end in mind because the rest of 1 John kind of fills in all the gaps. Later on in 1 John, I write unto you, dear children, because your sins are forgiven. That's the beginning. And then it's interesting. He says, I write unto you, dear children, because you know him who is from the beginning. That's your beginning. 
and you get to know the Father. This is the proclamation that fathers to make. This is where we all need to get that which I have heard. That's why the pastor is saying, come to church regularly, because you're going to hear the word of God. Faith comes through hearing the word of God. That which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at, meaning we've studied, that which we have touched with our own hands, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. See, that's experience. The life appeared, we have seen it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. That has to happen to every one of us. That's a part of growing up. I know that this was written to supposedly, if you listen to commentators, uh, to fight the Gnostics. Gnosticism had attacked the church, and Gnosticism was accepting everything except doing what they should do. It was, their, th- their, their thought process was, the flesh is bad, it's going to die, but the spirit's good and it's going to live, so I'll just do what the flesh wants for now. We call that license today. But those first four verses are much more than that, because it had to be established that um, these are the disciples. I'd like you to see another thing. You know, John's not saying me, he's saying us. What we have heard, what we have looked at, what we have touched with our hands, what we can proclaim, can't do it alone. It's, it's nowhere in here does it give license for us to do this alone. It all leads up to verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. This is the fellowship of the king. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy, your joy, complete. You see, this is a part of the process. We all have to go through it if we're going to get there. And we can't do it alone. What are some of the things that hinder us? I love uh, a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he's talking about this quality of fellowship. He was, if you don't know about him, he's got some great books. He was martyred by Hitler when he was in his 30s, but he'd already written so many awesome things. But he made this statement, we will never understand fellowship until we become disillusioned with ourselves. And he says, hopefully with, with each other, I mean, and hopefully with ourselves. Well, the only thing I'd add to that is vital we become disillusioned with ourselves, too. Because otherwise, it's still the me. Now, otherwise, we're going to be judging each other. Did you know that Jesus didn't trust any of his disciples? He didn't. But he was okay. You see, our flesh is weak. Our spirit's willing But our flesh is weak. And that's why it's fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Then I can trust you. And you can trust me. Jesus knew that when He was going to die on the cross for everybody's sin and send the Holy Spirit to live inside of each other, of us. He knew that. That, I think that's what helped Him endure. He also said, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified. I think that's a very interesting statement He made. 
that it was for our sakes, he sanctified himself. He didn't even do that for himself. He did that for us. And that's how we're supposed to live our lives. It's not the me. We give up the me in order to own the whole, the whole universe. We own everything if we can just give up that stinking little me. That me that gets offended. Yeah, yeah, sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so told me the truth, but they weren't smiling. And I think they were angry. We're like a bunch of adolescents. We need to grow up. Why? So the rest of the world can see that we're real. That Jesus Christ is real. There's a level of fellowship amongst us that the world can only dream of. These guys, they're laying down their lives for each other. Proverbs says, every man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. And we kind of know that. The only one I can trust is me. I don't have a problem with God. It's just all those church people. (laughs) You heard that? Mm -hmm. Maybe some of us have been there. Who knows? I want to pray over you today. I got more stuff, but the more the words, the less the meaning. This would be a good place to end and pray over you. And I'm available, and, and the, the altar team will be available to, for personal prayer. Father God, I just thank you for this family that you put Sue and I into, that you put orphans into families. And God, I just want to thank you for putting us in this family. God, I want to confess my love over this family, my commitment to them, Uh, They own me, Lord. You own me, so therefore they own me. And Lord, I pray that every stronghold, every spirit that exalts itself against the, the truth to be demolished. God, you you say that we got the power to pray that. You've given us these types of weapons, and that's how we're to pray over each other. Our battle is not against each other ever. And God, I pray that your spirit of wisdom and revelation and the true knowledge of you, God, that scripture, our memory verse, now this is eternal life that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent would be branded into our hearts, Lord. God, that we would walk away with that in our heart, written upon the tablet of our heart, and see how important that is to you, Lord. 